0: in politics man must learn to rise above principle what the hell are we doing here we are behaving the way a superpower ought to be well our behavior has produced some crappy results what we're witnessing now is the failure of the state it is a death struggle for our republic giving voice to liberty in our time. joey
1: clark
0: uh, hello and welcome to the program you are listening to the joey clark radio hour be sure to go on our Facebook page, give it a like so for some updates, upcoming guests. What I'm thinking about albums of the day, I'm collecting quite the playlist Now a month out with the new show. And tonight, I am very excited for tonight's guest because she is right in the thick of things I was talking about last night. Social media. Her name is Carrie Wedler. She's the editor-in-chief of Anti-Media, theantimedia.org. She got a degree in history at UCLA, but... I first came across her through YouTube, and she was on my Saturday show, so this is really a welcome back. Carrie, how are you this evening?
1: I'm great. How are
0: you? I'm doing great. Now, I want to begin by filling in what I was talking about last night. I was kind of by myself and just thinking out loud. And I'll I'll start by playing this short three-second clip.
1: Help! I've escaped from Kevin Spacey's basement! Help me!
0: Now, that's Stewie, family (laughs) guy... Seth MacFarlane, years ago, making a joke about Spacey. Seth MacFarlane also yeah. uh, made a joke at the Oscars, I think with Weinstein there, about Harvey Weinstein. It took uh, another comic, Hannibal Burris, to bring out things about Bill Cosby. So these there are some comedians and, I think, very clever writers who usually aren't very PC, who are quite insightful about these things, and they don't give a damn what they say about other people. Uh but Seth MacFarlane has this new show called The Orville, and the latest episode, it's like Star Trek, but more of a lighthearted feel. And they go to this planet where the rule of law is essentially anything the people, the mob, watching a main internet feed wants. And you wear a badge that has an upvote or downvote. And if you hit a million downvotes, you're arrested for a crime. You can then go on an oh, apology yeah. tour. And to make sure you don't hit 10 million downvotes or you're essentially lobotomized. Um, Now, I've had fun here on the radio. I've made a name for myself a little bit locally. But you really have hit it big in terms of social media. And this is why you from Los Angeles are talking to me here in Montgomery. A (laughs) lot of people have met you and known you. What has been your experience was sort of the the praise slash harassment that goes on with being on the social media?
1: Um, hmm, that's a great question. So I've been on social media publicly since 2011 and in a viral sense since 2014. That was when I had my first viral video. And I think just as a general rule, as a general lesson, my experience has been like You can't take any of it to heart, even the praise, because then you become addicted to the praise. Mm. Uh, But it's definitely been my experience uh, that I've had to learn how to sort of build up my defenses against all the negativity. Um, It's funny, my parents sometimes read the comments, and they're they're so freaked out by it. And I'm like, you guys, I don't even read the comments. It took me years. I had to learn not to read the comments, though, because... I think what I see most is a lot of people lashing out at me. I'm an easy target because I have strong opinions, and you can hear how I talk. I talk like this. I talk like a valley girl. So that makes it really easy for people who I trigger, for lack of a better word. It makes it easier for them to just hurl the the ad hominems at me and and call me stupid and, and make fun of me. Uh, but if, if you guys are interested, if you can go to YouTube. That's where the worst comments are. My name is Carrie Wedler, C A R E Y. If you type Carrie W you can find me and just scroll to comments. And I think it's just the internet's an easy place for people to lash out, to express sort of like their inner rage and emotions that they might not know how to deal with otherwise. I think that's what I've learned a lot of the time. Just interacting with people on a day to day basis and seeing the patterns in in the way they insult me and in the way they communicate to me, I would say that's the biggest thing. It's just being how common and yeah, how common it is. Just to see the the emotional suffering,
0: unfortunately. Well and I'm I'm glad you've come to that place because you you said that I saw a post you made I think this week or last week. Well it had to be last week. We've only just begun this week, Joey. Uh, it was ninety <laughs> percent of the time when somebody calls you a crazy uh, which I guess, or uh, we can say, bitch on F C. Nature
1: placement.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and essentially, there's hardly ever content, and really, it's like high school again, but played out with all age groups online for everybody to see. It, that's what yeah. I, I just had a ten year reunion, yeah. and it's it, you see, like people have not changed; have almost become themselves more. But you think back and go, man, what about all these insecurities? And now it's recorded forever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And it's, you know, it's sad. Um, I think, I don't think a lot of people sit and contemplate before they post comments, whether to me or anybody else, like in the abyss that is the internet. I don't, there isn't much thoughtfulness. It's reaction. You know, they see something, they react immediately. And there isn't much lead time in between those two things. And I think that that creates a lot more discord than we would have in real life especially because when you're online you're not accountable to anybody and mm-hmm. the reason it's so vulgar on YouTube is because on Facebook I mean this is my theory on Facebook it's your name for the most part you're using your real name but on YouTube on Reddit it's anonymous you can say whatever you want and no one's going to know that it's your real life person saying you're just some internet account with like random letters and numbers and some weird troll photo for your profile picture so it's, It's just a lot easier to sort of let out that dark side that a lot of us, I think, restrain for, you know, we we sort of keep it under wraps when we have to deal with real people. And that just totally goes away when you're online.
0: And again, folks, we're talking to Carrie Wedler. And folks, go to Patreon.com slash Carrie Wedler. You can help uh, support what Carrie does uh, at AntiMedia and your videos. And uh, it's something you just said earlier. About being on social media, and I experience this in a small way. But when you post something, you're—I mean—always refreshing, and going, "Oh, well, what's the reaction been <laughs> like?" And I, I hope it's not right. too negative, and I'm in trouble, or I'm—and I'm hoping I get all this praise. I was telling you off air that I could not go to sleep last night because I got watching a Joe Rogan podcast with this Jamie Kilstein guy. Used to be uber male feminist, has now gone back to comedy. And he was describing the same thing that it was, he wasn't even reading articles. It was just, how can I play this game? It reminded me of folks that are addicted to gambling, I've talked to. Could you describe more what that's like on a larger scale? What it's like when you do get that, that first big video you had when you burn the Obama shirt, what that feels like to get that big of a reaction? Oh my gosh. Um,
1: well, at first, it's a shock because I remember I've told this a million people, but it's so true. I remember when I made the video, I was filming it in my mom's backyard. Like I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, cool. Another video. I was making a video a week at that time. And I remember when I was filming it and I was having a great time because it was fun. I was like burning an Obama shirt. Cool. Fun. But I remember thinking to myself, I had this very vivid thought. I was like, I'm going to get 20,000 views. This is going to be awesome. And it got 20,000 views in under 24 hours. And then it just kept growing and growing. It's almost at 2 million now. And it was shared like hundreds of thousands of time on Facebook by somebody that ripped it from my YouTube channel, which is fine. Um, (laughs) but it, it, at first it was shock. It was like, why are the likes going up and view count staying the same? Uh Uh-oh, like what? Does that mean getting a lot of views? YouTube can't even keep up with the views. So it's like, it's very exhilarating. There's this adrenaline rush and that's great. And it's cool. But you know, then you read the comments and you see the mean things and that's fine because you're still getting so many views. Um, I think, and just to veer away for a second, but I want to bring it back to what we're talking about as far as reactions. But I reacted, I think, in a sense where I really messed up my creative flow because after going that viral, it became very much like, well, what's going to go viral? What can I write that's going to go viral? What can I make that people are going to want to click on and it's going to get a lot of views and a lot of shares? And I totally stifled my, my own voice because I was so worried about pleasing other people and giving them something that they found to be valuable that I totally stopped seeking from my heart and it just like it just was like a vicious cycle for quite a while um but it overall I mean I got a lot of really good feedback for that what I found interesting was after it went viral and I got a lot of followers I got like um uh, YouTube I think I got like 10,000 subscribers in two days mm-hmm. and then on Facebook I got um a few thousand you know it wasn't huge but just over time as I got you know as I kept producing my content as I kept making status updates and whatnot, a lot of people who had presumed that if I was an Obama supporter, I had to be a Republican, they just made this presumption. They projected their own views onto me. And then when I didn't necessarily align with those views, they got very offended. And they that's when a lot of the name-calling started. A lot of the... Uh, the uh, they got very triggered. I want to call them snowflakes, but <laughs> they're not leftists. But they were snowflakes on the right. They got very uncomfortable with some of my views and then you know, that again triggered me. I was like, oh no, I'm doing it wrong and I was like, but what, what, I know I don't agree with what they're saying. It was like a whole back and forth for me so it really made me question myself which is pretty interesting but it's, over the years I've learned that it's, it's okay. Like, All I actually, right. I want to share a comment with you guys that I got. I pulled it up I screenshotted it when I got the comment. This was maybe like five months ago because I put out a video sort of just talking about a little bit of what we're talking about here, about how a lot of the political strife and discord we see has a lot to do, I think, with inner struggle and how a lot of us are projecting our inner fear or our inner anger or pain back out into the political world, World and we're just sort of like clashing. But I made a video about that, and I got a really mean comment. Um, it's not even real. Well, actually, if I'm looking at it. It's not really mean compared to the average comment I get. <laughs> but this person said, we don't hate you because of your views. The, the title of the video was hate me for my political views. Let's talk. He so we don't hate you because of your views. We hate you because your political education consists of YouTube videos, a couple of books, and despite that, you feel the need to make videos saying the same thing that thousands of other YouTubers say as if it's some brave revelation. Peace, 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 peace. I'm mocking me. And I just responded. I don't usually respond, but I responded, I don't hate you, so I hope you find some way to deal with all the negativity my sheer existence causes you. I'll be sending you love. Sounds like you need it. Smiley face. He responds within minutes. He says, I do need it, and I appreciate your love. L-M-A-O-T-B-H. So, like, laughing, to be honest. And for me, that was just such an important interaction because I realized, like, wow, it was that simple. I just acknowledged that he needed some love, and all of a sudden that meanness dropped. Like, he just dropped it, and he was able to admit that he needed love and actually say he appreciated it. Like, maybe he was a troll to begin with. Maybe he didn't really hate me, and he was actually a fan, and he was trolling me. Like, you really never know on the Internet these days. But it was just nice to see that a little positivity and a little bit of, like, compassion can go a really long way. Uh, Because I think that's what's fundamentally lacking in a lot of these conversations. And unsurprisingly, my videos where I'm being sassy and maybe being critical of people, those tend to incite the most rage and backlash.
0: Well, and and for me, I was talking again uh, last night that what I think motivates most people isn't hatred. I mean, there are a few folks out mm-hmm. there; they're just no damn good. But I think mm-hmm. uh, what motivates a lot of people, especially your average person caught in an ideological bubble or echo chamber, is resentment. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and s- instead of. Uh, knowledge about themselves or the other side. They just let Mm -hmm. the negative emotion take over. And I'm talking from experience. Like I've gotten into these arguments with people and it ruins Mm -hmm. my whole day. I I feel awful. And the last time I've used the block function, it wasn't because of an argument. It was actually outside a Richard Spencer event where a a black man hugged a Nazi and said, why do you Mm -hmm. hate me? And I thought it was this beautiful, Mm -hmm. beautiful moment. And it was this Uber leftist who said, Oh, here's why your average centrist loves that moment. But no, everything <laughs> everything this is like to subjective truth and political struggle. Right. And so mm-hmm. I didn't get in a fight, I just said I goodbye. I didn't even say nope. goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I ghosted him. Uh, so yeah. it is remarkable to me that we let so much of the the sort of emotional reaction take over when the internet has provided a platform. Uh, to sort of unveil some truths. And, of course, what's going on in the news, while we're focused on the whole Russian investigation, a lot breaking with that, with this car running over people in New York, is the Mm -hmm. sexual harassment, assault allegations coming out of all sorts of industries, but especially Hollywood. Um, Mm -hmm. You grew up in this area of, of the world, this part of the country, and when I brought this up with you off air, you, the tone of your voice didn't sound all that surprised. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you make of everything I going I should not
1: laugh. It's not funny. Um, well, I am from this town, and it's hard for me to judge how it's different in other places because I grew up here, you know, so for me, everything seems normal, but one of the things I don't know what, I don't know if it's been discussed very much, but something that I definitely took away from growing up here was just that I'm valuable based on my appearance. Hmm. You know, like I derive my worth from how pretty I am because everywhere you go in LA, that's what it's all about. And I was also a girl that grew up, like I was reading teen magazines by the time I was 12. I was like begging my mom to please get me a subscription to all these teen magazines and I would read them and I would just stay home. I was a super introvert. Like I didn't have a ton of friends or at least I didn't hang out with them on the weekends. So I'd stay home on the weekends. And I would watch my TV shows, and I would read my magazines, and I would just sit there and hate myself because I wasn't pretty enough. And if you look into like these kinds of psychological issues, they're not only rooted in like society. Obviously, everybody has their own personal experiences, so there are all sorts of factors as to why I hated myself. Being twelve and like thought that my thighs were too fat when I weighed 108 pounds and I was five six. Like what? But that is a lot of that is society, and in LA, it's extreme and. You just, it's, I, I, uh, I, there, I have so many things I could say, but I, I used to work retail and I would ring up celebrities all the time. I would, I worked in like a, a wealthy ish area called Studio City where there are a lot of studios. NBC's right there and CBS and Disney's in Burbank, which is right near Studio City. NBC Universal or um, Universal Studios is right there. Um, so I sort of was just in this pit of, of the industry. And you see all these people come in and you could just see all of their injections. You could see their, Acid peels—you could see their implants—and and so that's a strange environment to grow up in. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because when you look at these sexual harassment allegations, there's a good deal of objectification in them. So there are these women who come to LA and they want to be famous, and it's also men, it's, as we saw today with new allegations coming about. It's it's not limited to women. I was reading an article on the Guardian that said it's just as prevalent—the harassment of men. Hmm. Um, so. It's, It's an issue for everybody, but L.A. is a town that attracts a lot of people who want a lot of attention, and one of the requirements is you have to be pretty and you have to be good-looking, and that has a lot to do with sexual attraction, so it's really not surprising that people in positions of power exploit that, that that's something they go after. Um, But I remember I entered at a film studio, actually, and I remember hearing conversations just between the executives. Uh, for one, there was one executive who just could not, not try to lift down my shirt. Just, <laughs> he couldn't. He, it, and it, what was I going to say? Nothing. I was an intern. Um, he never did anything other than that. But I mean, that's kind of an uncomfortable environment to be in. But there was another executive who had a reputation for just inviting in like wannabe actresses just so he could like sit in a room with them. And he had no intention of hiring them. Uh, but they would come in and they get all hopeful. And then he would just like sit and talk to them so he could say that he sat and talked to them. Like, it, it was sort of like a weird power thing. And, you know, just getting validation and feeling like, oh, well, I could play with this girl. I could, you know, I'll bring her in and I'll give her some hope and then I can just tell people, like, how hot she is in person or whatever. Mm. Um, I don't even understand the reasoning because he wasn't making moves on her. But um, I was lucky to have my direct boss was amazing and he actually sort of influenced me out of the industry. But, um, yeah, I'm not surprised at all by the allegations. I mean, you go out to a Hollywood nightclub and you see it everywhere. And that's, a lot of it is, as you said, it's in all the industries. I just think it's hyper-magnified in Los Angeles because it is such an image-based industry. I think that's what I was getting at. Sorry, that was a very long ramble I went on.
0: Uh, well, no, and it's, it's a, excuse the phrase, it's a target-rich environment. And I think you're right that yeah. it, it is, uh, there's a part of the job when you're on screen uh, that you're going to be objectified a bit. I mean, that's part right. of it. Uh, but what's, for me, it's about timing That it's just a matter of somebody finally spoke out? Or do you think there's something to the the Internet culture that's allowing this to now get out? And was it that people really are scared or, uh, you know, a phrase, especially with Trump these days, is normalized? That it was just, oh, that's how Mm -hmm. people acted, but people felt uncomfortable and though they didn't have an outlet. Why do you think it is now coming out? um, And do you think this is going to be effective going forward?
1: Hmm, Good question. Um, I think, and I I do not claim to know the inner workings of why this happened, but just as my observations show me, I think there's a reason it's happening when Donald Trump is president. Hmm. Um, And this is without me making a judgment about what people think of his sexual harassment, but on the left, there is a very broad perception that Donald Trump is sexist and that he is inappropriate with women. And so we went in, I mean, there was the women's march, right? Like right after he won or after the inauguration, all of these women came out, like, and much, I mean, they were wearing vagina hats. Like it was very much supposed to, which I find to be like the opposite of empowerment and is actual like complete objectification by reducing yourself to a body organ. But whatever, the goal was sort of like women's empowerment. And there's been very much the perception that, that women are being oppressed right now. And so I'm not surprised that it came out during the Trump administration because everybody, not everybody, a lot of people on the left during the Obama years were sort of living in their little bubble that everything had been fixed. And we lived in a utopian society now and thank God Obama's president and they're still mourning his loss and believe that now everything has just been destroyed because Trump is president, which is ridiculous. I don't agree with that, but trying to see it through the lens of of liberalism and, and the way Hollywood political ideology goes, I think that maybe some of that emboldening came because just of the general political climate in the country and and uh, where leftist thought has gone, um, but regardless, it is important that people came forward. Somebody like Harvey Weinstein is just a pig, you know. And, oh
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Regardless of what I think of Donald Trump, regardless of what I think of, of mainstream leftist political ideology, I it doesn't matter. It's important that somebody came forward, and uh, will it make a difference? <laughs> Probably a little. I mean, people in Hollywood are very much into their images, right? So if they're being shamed out of certain behavior and it's been exposed, I think that actually might be a good incentive for them to contain their behavior. On the other hand, I think people who are like that, like, have some issues. They have some psychological issues to be that manipulative and to exploit people like that. So I think that overall it'll make a difference, but I also think that the worst offenders are going to need a little bit more than some bad PR to really change their
0: Compulsions that make them behave in that way. Uh, and I, I tend to agree, and I, I think it is a change uh, that's going to happen slowly but surely. Though, uh, for instance, like one of my favorite things to watch on in internet land is a channel on YouTube called Screen Junkies. And right okay. when the Weinstein stuff came out, it came out that the founder and kind of the star host of Screen Junkies, Andy Signore, had uh, done some very inappropriate things, texts and advances towards an intern, um, mm-hmm. other things where, and and Screen Junkie shut down, and they finally have come out with a video, and they had a psychologist on, saying that it's not just sexual comments that are bad; it's all harassing comments, and I'm in my head, I'm reacting like, I agree with her. Especially like what we were just talking about, Carrie, like all the, the trolling comments, the mean comments without much substance. They're revealing problems own people are having. But then I think about my job. I think about radio and political discourse. And mm-hmm. you're supposed to be trained as a partisan that when Donald Trump's sexual assault or harassment allegations come out, you go, well, Bill Clinton did it too. What about what? Right. <laughs> like, it's always about harassment. It's always about winning. Um, and mm-hmm. its I think this episode really revealed to me how useless or ineffective or uh, counterproductive partisanship can be. Because these Weinstein allegations and the others come out. I heard people on the left saying, oh, see, now the people on the right are hypocrites. People on the right seeing the allegations go, and see, oh, now the people, those hoity-toity folks in Hollywood who always tell us that they're better than us oh, they're hypocrites too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if we just have this mirror image of everybody yelling hypocrite, the partisans aren't teaching us anything. They're just once again using what should be a moment of reflection for more point scoring. And Absolutely. It, it is so much what our media narrative uh, has become. And we've got to take a quick break. We've already talked for 20-something minutes. Um, and on the other side, I want to talk about your uh, recent... Well, you kind of broke up. You're just done with the mainstream media. Uh, but I think it's a, a little more nuanced than uh, folks might take on first glance. Uh, taking us out, the album of the day, something I actually listened to on um, vinyl. It was essentially a happy accident. Amazon sent me the wrong vinyl. But it's a new record. Uh, His Royal Badness, Prince, was a pretty much, well, you can call Prince what you want. It was a girl group, a rock group. The album's Plectrum Electrum. The group is Third Eye Girl. The song is called Wow. We're talking to Carrie Wedler, the editor in chief of theantimedia.org and she has her own YouTube page, Media Following Herself. We'll continue talking to her about well, our discussion and much more that we haven't touched on yet. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. We'll be right back.
1: Clark.
0: Welcome back to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. So humbly named after me, Joey. The album of the day is Plectrum Electrum, and that is the name of this song by Third Eye Girl. Check it out. One of the last albums Prince did before the opioid crisis took him. It's not like he was personally responsible for getting hooked. (laughs) My guest this evening is Carrie Wedler. Now, Kerry, before we get into, well, how much money the U.S. government has wasted on the war on terror, and even with what's going on in New York, I think we, you and I could both make the argument that uh, what we've done abroad is probably encouraged what we're seeing in New York. But you recently made a video where you just burned your last bridge with the mainstream media. What were you getting at in that video, really, in the nutshell of it?
1: Uh, thank you for asking. Well, the nutshell message of that video is not necessarily that everything you see in the mainstream media is fake news because that's absolutely not the case. In fact, a lot of what they report is true. Uh, maybe we disagree with it. Maybe it's packaged in narratives and ideologies and biases that shouldn't be there. But really what I was getting at is, well, yes, there are definitely fake news stories some planted by government agencies. Uh, the real point is or was to free myself just from blind authority to any kind of institution or any, um, or blind submission to any kind of institution or authority because I was someone who, this is in my bonus Patreon video, it's not in the, uh, the public YouTube video, but I grew up on, CNN. I, I used to come home from middle school and I'd watch Lou Dobbs. Like of all the, the <laughs> pundits that I was really into, I loved Lou Dobbs. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, awesome. I, it's so random too. Like I was so ready. It was like Lou Dobbs at 3 p.m. I was ready. Or maybe it was four because I guess I got out of school three. But anyway, um, yeah, I was, it, if the mainstream media said it, I it was true. If it was printed on paper, then it was true. And that was just a lesson I've been learning over the years, whether it's uh, belief in government or belief in any any kind of authority, maybe Hollywood, maybe, you know, your school teachers, anybody. Just uh, instead taking responsibility for the information you're putting in your head and and checking your facts, checking your sources, and not expecting somebody else to take care of you or to inform you or to protect you or otherwise.
0: Well, so that, and, was fun. that makes sense to me, though. I, I've gone, I don't know if it's political despair or if I've... Found this new newfound hope and people on the individual level, Carrie. But I, I really, I, I like I said, I want my ten year reunion and talk about how you grow up. There's this one young woman named Rachel who I can remember my last exchange with her was like five six years ago, where I got into some heated political argument and I acted like an utter asshat. I'd been reading too much Ayn Rand, and she looked at me at this uh, ten year reunion two weekends ago and said, "Well." I literally, Carrie, had a feminist Marxist and sort of a Trump libertarian, if that's a thing, talking over each other at the same time at me because they know I'm a political talk host. And, And I'm trying to listen to both of them talk over each other. And finally they shut up and Rachel looks at me and goes, well, Joey, what do you think these days? And I said, well, I'm kind of politically apolitical. I just want to learn about the world and hopefully make friends along the way and make some jokes. Uh, so, maybe that's why I haven't been writing some hard hitting pieces for anti media or many other folks. And because of that, and I know I don't have much status over there uh, because I, you got to earn your, your way, you got to pay your dues. Um, but I'm going to tap myself for a moment as a, sort of this unofficial ombudsman. You know, this piece on the nine things you could have bought instead of funding the U.S. Empire. It's a great piece. And we're going to get into how much, like, per a citizen it would cost. But I have to take issue with number two. Uh, you could have bought some dank weed, some good <laughs> cannabis, some wacky-backy, the devil's yeah. lettuce. And you said you could be about two to three pounds, which could have easily lasted you the duration of the war on terror. Now, knowing my habits, this would not have lasted me now sixteen years. Probably going to go on for twenty. No way. You got to check your facts.
1: Well, Joey, I got to ask you something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you been to California and have you uh, ingested the California product? Uh,
0: uh, officially, no.
1: Well, I've never then. been to California,
0: <laughs> but officially on that question, no, never.
1: Okay, well then. Okay, I should have clarified to say California product. Because okay, it's a bit more potent here, I've heard. Um, especially if you have a, a, an East Coast tolerance. So <laughs> maybe I'll go back and issue a correction.
0: Okay, well, and if you had said dabs, that might have <laughs> crazy wax stuff. Anyway, uh, the, yeah, that too. <laughs> the point of this article really was to show how much money has been spent on the war on terror and the. Really, it's it's more than just fighting terrorists. Iraq wasn't about terrorists. Uh, Libya wasn't about terrorists. In many ways, Syria wasn't either. Uh, now, how much money are we? Is it been estimated that these wars are costing and will continue to cost the American people?
1: All right. So, I'll just read from the article I wrote. Okay. According to a recent analysis released this year by the Watson, Watson Institute of International and Public Affairs at Brown University, the cost are $4.8 trillion in the post-9-11 wars. And as reported by Defense One, which is the military news outlet, they covered this recent calculation, which was actually ordered by, um, I'm sorry, I wrote this a few weeks ago, and I edit and write so many articles a week. But um, it was, okay, the 2017 National Defense Authorization Act ordered the Pentagon and IRS to compile and publicly post the information on the Defense Department's website. And the total is each American has spent roughly $7,500 per person to fund the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria since 9-11. And that's not even all the places the United States is bombing. So it's probably more. And by comparison, they've only spent $4,100 on diplomacy, which I think says a lot about American foreign policy right there.
0: Well, and, and your premise here hit home with me because it happens every year, and I'm not going to go into the details uh because of it's sensitive employee employer information. But let's just say I don't make that much money and I keep getting hit by the IRS to where I'm build up a little bit of a savings and they come around and say, Hey, you owe two grand <laughs> and, it's, Naturally. and it it's like two grand isn't that much money in the big scheme of things, but it's a lot to me and they spend that yeah. probably some dinner party. Um, so exactly. you, you give uh, some better things people could have spent $7,500 on. We've already mentioned cannabis. Uh, what are some of the other things people could have spent their hard-earned dime on instead of, well, to fund the U.S. empire?
1: Sure. And, you know, the weed one was just kind of like a joke um, oh, because I, 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 w- I wanted to put some more serious things in here as well. Um, because people could have actually, and this is something we talk about a lot with The ideas and messages we promote is being able to live without government and to not have to rely on government. And so, for example, something that people could have bought. um, I'll just read because I already wrote it. Um, For $7,500, each American could have helped numerous struggling families around the world by providing them with farm animals, medicine, clean water, and other crucial materials to help them work toward a better life. Very simple. Um, A tiny home. For the amount every American has spent on perpetuating the empire, they could have bought at least one economical tiny home and probably one for a homeless person in need, too, which is pretty important because a lot of cities are just clearing out homeless people. And in Los Angeles, they banned tiny homes. What like, were- really, you it? Guys- not only are they banning the homeless, they're banning the things that could keep them from being homeless. Now, <laughs> so maybe I'm,
0: you couldn't do this in L.A. I, and I want to pause there because I'm fascinated with the tiny home movement. I've mm-hmm. I've had that itch myself that sounds like ideal to just unplug, get away. Let's just say in some inter- introspective trips I've had, uh, the thing that gives me the most anxiety is my damn phone and social media. And it would be mm-hmm. nice to get away from... The world in a tiny house is one way to do that. If you can find yeah. other income, but they, so they are moving homeless people out of the city. But and I've seen this online where people are trying to build these little uh, co-ops, uh, you know, tiny homes, caravanning together or in certain plots. But they aren't allowing tiny homes at all on any lots in the city.
1: Um, well, I, you know, I, I should Google that as I'm talking with you, because I know that there was a city ordinance to ban tiny homes. And this was particularly frustrating because um, there's this area in West Los Angeles, and that's where the VA is, so the Veterans Affairs Hospital. And there are a lot of homeless veterans in that area, and it's really sad. And I used to live right in that area, and there was this little congregation. They had, like, a little makeshift um, just a little encampment under a freeway underpass, and I would drive by and the cops would be clearing them out. So these are homeless veterans who can barely even get service from the VA, and they take shelter. Luckily, it's LA, it's not freezing, but you're living outside, you're homeless. Like, you feel cast away by your society that you fought for. And so you have this issue of homeless people being cleared out by the cops, and then, um, hold on, I'm just Googling the city ordinance, um, because they then banned the solution and most cities are not doing this this was something specific to los angeles uh that i just came up as i was reading it out loud because i was like wait l (laughs) a okay so from 2016 l.a is seizing tiny homes from the homeless um okay so this year just in august they voted to end the ban on sales of tiny homes so there was a big backlash and it appears that just a couple months ago they they reversed it good (laughs) yeah but why would you do that in the first place you have a homeless problem okay so you ban the solution Hmm, I don't know. And so that's, that's why I wrote the article partly in the first place, not only to discuss the waste of money and the catastrophe that has been the war on terror, but also just to highlight how much power we really do have as people to help each other. With, you know, assuming that the government isn't going to interfere and make it more difficult, but there's so many opportunities we have to not rely on government and to take care of each other.
0: Well, and on the tiny home issue, I can just imagine somebody who probably has some multi-million dollar valued property, and they're like, I don't want those tiny homes near me. I don't right. know why they sound like that, but I don't want <laughs> tiny homes near me downing my property values. And right. it's, it's that sort of rent-seeking behavior I mean, people across the political spectrum. That, that sort of behavior I've come to find is all over the place. It knows no party alone. And You point out that 3D printers are something that we could have spent money on. Have you ever? Mm -hmm. I I was thinking of like 3D printers, like when I still, like people were printing out little lapel buttons and things like that. But you're (laughs) thinking of something uh, bigger than, say, a pen um, when you mention 3D printing. Yes, you can actually print
1: a house. And I think you would need the the plans to put it together, but that's yeah. just one other way to to live off the grid or to be self sufficient. Um, you could buy more than a few of these 3D printers with the amount you spent on the war on terror since 9/11. Uh, so yeah, there actually there have been discussions about using 3D printers to house the homeless and to use you know just to use technology as a solution to a lot of our problems. And they're also working on 3D printing meat, uh, which probably some people will have an aversion to, but There's a solution to factory farming. It can reduce dependency on, I mean, that's such a huge industry, and it's created a lot of health problems. So, I mean, there's just so many cool solutions. they are 3D printing organs. I don't know if you want to try that at home. I think you probably need a professional to do that. But you can print dinnerware. You can print so many different kinds of things. There are actually 3D printed guns, which is a controversial topic as well, but you can 3D print your own gun if you have a 3D printer and you have the, the blueprint.
0: I actually talked about that with a guy's name, Michael Cargill. He knows a uh, little Cody Wilson, uh, oh, no. Cody's yeah. crazy <laughs> self. Uh, and, but it's brilliant technology. Um, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Like the home I've seen these videos where they're able to construct these homes at incredibly low cost without much labor cost. Oh, it looks like the machine took her jobs again. Um, and for some reason, Carrie, throughout this conversation, I keep thinking of South Park references. Like Montgomery just got a Whole Foods, so we're moving on up. And, oh wow! And yeah, oh yeah, uh, really, just incredible, incredible exactly. movement here in Montgomery. Really progressive here in, in, in Alabama. Uh, and but it, okay, I have to get to one that has been bugging me. Maybe yeah. I'm just making it up in my own head, but I've been looking at some sites I've written for for AntiMedia.org and. Of uh, some other places and i'm looking at not their websites in particular but the facebook pages it doesn't seem right. like as much traffic is going to these facebook pages uh it's yeah what is going on with facebook
1: well that's a great question um i think i think there are various factors but there's one main one i going to get to but i want to speak to my experience first because i think um, and this actually goes back to my mainstream media video, but I think a lot of what's happened, I know at least for anti-media, is that we have tried to veer away from the sensationalism and what I believe is fear-mongering for the independent narrative crowd. And we really tried to just be much more straightforward in our titles and the way we present information. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want that. They want the sensationalism. So I think that for us, that's definitely affected our numbers, but... What I was just talking to Nick about, who is our, our founder, um, you know, Nick, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. but he was saying that he thinks that things really went bad when things switched from organic traffic to machines deciding the algorithm, because we used to have massive traffic. Um, we'd be getting tens of thousands of shares on articles, and it's been in the last year, maybe two, uh, since they instituted the robot algorithms that our traffic has just, it's monumentally dropped. Mm-hmm. And this is there are a lot of other websites that are having this experience and we don't show up on people's feet. And, uh, you know, it came out, what was it, last year, that Facebook was using alg- algorithms to drive down conservative news. Uh, so this isn't really new. I guess it's not surprising. And you look at uh, Mark Zuckerberg's ideologies and they aren't necessarily in line with the things that we're talking about and the things that we care about. And... So I I was reading the article that we were discussing about, uh, what's his name? James Bovard, who was talking about how he was censored Mm. on Facebook. And he named all these different instances of Facebook blocking political posts. And they weren't just conservative posts. I mean, they're blocking things about the genocide in Myanmar. I'm totally probably butchering that. Um, I apologize to whoever knows how to say it correctly. Um, But they were blocking the pictures of the vietnamese girl during the vietnam war who was running away naked after a plane dropped napalm on her village uh they're they're blocking all sorts of things and whether that's because they're afraid it will offend people or because they object to what's being put up and they just don't want people seeing it i don't know i can't speak to that but there are so many instances of people actively and pretty clearly being censored that it's it's these aren't coincidences, you know. It's, it's happening on a pretty broad scale, and what's interesting is that it's all kinds of people with all kinds of different opinions. It isn't any one ideology, which I think is even scarier.
0: It's it it's scaring the hell out of me, not just with Facebook, but like I've guys, recurring guest Remzo Martinez. He's had a lot of his YouTube comment or content uh, demonetized for innocuous reason. Like he had a, I, I think some program with Jason Stapleton where they had a discussion about the media, kind of like our discussion right now, and somebody yeah. reported it as sexually explicit, which there's no mention oh. of that at all. Uh, in, wow. And it's been demonetized. And I'm I'm seeing from friends on the right and the left and in the libertarian space and in the sort of independent media space that you need your own platform. You need to get away from, I think, some of the, the big companies as much as you can because they're going to control what they can. Um, you you use Patreon. I've had other people talk about Patreon. I guess we'll give them a free Uh plug. And you yourself uh, can direct folks. um, Because I think I was talking with Remzo about how the guy who founded Patreon is left-wing, but he really believes in sort of an open source community. There were no barriers to Uh the content being put out unless it's like, you know, really like ISIS, you know. Right. Yeah, I love
1: Patreon. I'm having a great time on Patreon. It's allowed me to connect with my fans on a lot more at a a greater personal level and for people who don't know what it is basically it's just a platform where you can direct people who already subscribe to you and they can help they can donate to your cause and you give them rewards in return so if you donate five dollars to my channel or to my content for example you get a bonus video so when I put out a video on Patreon I also put out a little extra video and I do all different kinds of things for that but it's just been a great opportunity to sort of uh, balance out the loss of revenue I've had on YouTube because a lot of my videos have been demonetized um, and they're deemed not suitable for advertisers. And for me, that's usually criticizing Hillary Clinton or criticizing the U.S. empire. They let me keep my monetization on things like guns and weed. That's all good. But if I talk about the empire, if I talk about Hillary Clinton, uh, done. they took down, they. which one was it? They took down one I had criticizing Israel. Um, and it's even like, I'm, I was born Jewish, okay, it's not that offensive, and it's, I'm not being anti-Semitic, it's just an opinion, but that was not suitable for advertisers. I've got all kinds of things that they just said were not okay. And so, as I used to get maybe like a car payment a month off of um, AdSense, and I haven't gotten paid in like six months, because you have to have a $100 minimum in your ad revenue account for them to pay out, and I just, <laughs> I haven't been able to do it, because they cut off, they finally cut off my Obama video too, and that oh. was like sort of a constant, yeah, just a couple months ago, decided it
0: was what, not suitable. What reason did they give you?
1: They don't give you one. They just tell oh. you it's not suitable. And they, they have sort of like a, a middle-of-the-road demonetization now where um, it's called... They, they say it's not suitable for all advertisers. So I don't know. Maybe it's suitable for some. I, I don't know how their inner working relationships with the advertisers are. So, like, maybe some advertisers are still willing. But I can't imagine that... Well... I don't honestly I don't want to speak on it too much because I don't know but I do know that in the guidelines for content creators they say that one of the controversial subjects is war if you're talking about that then there's a good chance that they're going to block your monetization and as much as you can blame the platform for this again they are a private organization it's their decision which is why I made the decision to get onto Patreon because I I don't want to just be stuck with YouTube's guidelines but at the end of the day this is a reflection of what people want to see this is a market response if this, if they're worried about what marketers are worrying about the marketers are worried about how people are reacting so this really has a lot more to do with our societies and just censorship and just you know the powers that be restricting information when it comes to especially on YouTube when it comes to demonetizing content it has a lot to do with what people are willing to hear and are going to be offended by unfortunately
0: well, and I hope folks start really looking into like the the structural platforms they're getting their information from, and who is controlling mm-hmm. things, and trying to be, you know, I guess local sourcing. That's not exactly correct, but uh, you know, we want to know who is helping because you'd think of YouTube as oh, anybody can hop on, make a little bit of a living, mm-hmm. and have their own thing going on, but. You know, it's it's an old story where these companies find incredible success in the market, like a Facebook or a Google, and then they use not only their market power, but they get in bed with governments here at home, the U.S. government, whether you know, the FISA statutes are coming up, people want to make it permanent, uh, but you also have Facebook, as James Bovard writes, in bed. With what I would consider totalitarian governments in some cases, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and they're doing the bidding of these governments for the sake of the bottom line. And you know, I I don't want to sound like a, a leftist, but that old quote that the capitalist will sell you the noose you'll hang them with. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, it is the worst form of uh, of co- uh, collusion. That's a popular buzzword. Mm-hmm. It's the worst form of collusion, big corporate businesses that are controlling information, teaming Uh up with governments, again, to control what you want. And now with the Russia fever, you have Congress asking to regulate ads, to regulate more online. So we're entering a crazy world here, Carrie, and um, this has been the hour. Hopefully they don't regulate the hell out of it like they've done radio here. (laughs) Uh, but we're, we've run out of time, and I really appreciate you uh, being on the show. Uh, again, where can folks find some of your work and help you out if they want to?
1: Sure. If you head to YouTube.com, you can just search Carrie W-C-A-R-E-Y, space W. Um, my actual URL is CarrieElizabeth824 because I made the channel before I ever thought I'd be making videos. So <laughs> you can also just go directly to that URL, and you can find me also at TheAntiMedia.org or Patreon.com slash Carrie and
0: that's about it. Well, Carrie, uh, thank you so much again, and I'll be in touch. Maybe I'll get off my butt and uh, start writing something again. But for now, I'm would s- love that. I'm sort of just—I'm yeah, just this joke, this fool. I'm just making jokes and making friends. I don't know. Sometimes that's things.
1: all you can do, and I think you're doing great work. So thank you very much for having
0: me on. Oh, thank you, Carrie. Have a wonderful night. You too. Bye. And again, folks, the album of the day. Check it out, Plectrum Electrum, the song taking us out is Another Love by Third Eye Girl. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Everybody have a good night. <laughs>